Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to How to Use the Affect Bridge to Instantly Raise Self-Esteem. Free your clients from the influence of negative memories with these four steps. My destination is no longer a place, rather a new way of seeing. Those are the words of Marcel Proust. As we travel through life, our memories meander with us. Times we hated and times we loved. The past travels with us. Some memories fade, but others, like attention-seeking phantoms, tug at our conscience so that in some way the past is always present. And sometimes the shrill cry of some memories is so loud, so terrifying, that we can't help but believe the past is now and all around us. But not all memories are so obvious. Some memories, though long forgotten, exert a lingering effect we might not even be aware of. Like gravity, their force is invisible, but very real. We don't always see them, but we definitely feel them. Just as groundwater might only be detectable by the nourishment it brings to the landscape, the mysterious green vegetation in a dry desert, our memories may only be detectable by the poisonous haze they cast over our lives. For many of our clients, that poison seeps to the surface so insidiously that the harm it causes is a baffling mystery. Why am I like this? So getting back to the source. In another video, I described uh, working with a client called Emily. And uh, I describe a, a session in which during that session, I helped her control the panic attacks that had been blighting her life. We clear the brushwood, so to speak, so that we can begin to tackle the ingrained emotional patterns that lie beneath. Four months later, I see Emily for a second session. And she, and this is a videoed session, and she has something wonderful to tell me. She says, I'm not having panic attacks anymore. And even if they start, I can now stop them in their tracks. And this is a great start, but what else can I do for her? I've still got low self-esteem, she says, and self-confidence issues. As the session unfolds, the second session, which you can watch in, inside UPTV, I learn that Emily is confident in some areas, but still has terrible difficulty asserting herself in relationships. She doesn't feel heard, but nor does she feel she can speak her mind. And there are those in her life who, like vultures to carrion, target her because of this. They use emotional blackmail, as she puts it. And of course, she's not alone. People dominate others in all kinds of ways. And she says um, in, in that video session, I always try to please people and I feel terrified of upsetting anyone, even when they're treating me badly. Saying no for her felt tantamount to inviting physical assault. But the whole time I'm thinking, why might that be? When the consequences feel so dangerous that our living is stifled. So I suggest to Emily that her terror of upsetting others may have originated from times when there really had been dangerous consequences from not pleasing other people. And as she relates her painful past, it becomes clear that this theory isn't such a stretch. Emily um, agrees that as a child, it did feel dangerous to not please the adults in her life. And it still does, even though she's 
a grown woman. She describes a time in her adult life where she felt unable to be assertive, unable to find her voice. I ask her to focus on that feeling, to see if any particular memory comes to mind. And at first nothing does, but we wait and pretty soon a horrible old memory surfaces. A nasty presence emerging from a dark corridor of Emily's mind. We follow the trail of this feeling through the decades. Remember, she's in her, she's 60 now. All the way back to primary school, where Emily had been giving a presentation. The children had jeered at her, thrown books at her, and called her boring. And the teacher had done nothing to help. Emily had found herself completely unable to speak. She had no voice back in that time. It was the same feeling that has echoed through her life ever since. Every time she tries to stick up for herself, she's felt as if she couldn't speak and highly anxious. So in that case, I was using the affect bridge. We've located the feeling and linked it to an earlier time. And now I can help Emily go back in time and sort that memory out. I can reframe that memory emotionally and therefore cognitively so that it loses its power over Emily's life. And by the end of the session, Emily is already much more assertive. And of course, of course she is. You know, we finally freed her from the shackles of that past conditioning. So how do we use the affect bridge? Here are some pointers. Number one, find the feeling. So I ask Emily in that video, not just to describe the feeling she had when she was unable to be assertive in present times, but to actually feel it for a few seconds. Okay, get, get a sample of that feeling. This is key. We need that sample of the problem feeling. I worked with a woman called Wendy who would compulsively chew discarded rubber bands and smoke thrown away cigarettes. Now, she had enough money not to have to do this and was at a loss as to where the compulsion may have come from. But when we used an affect bridge, all became clear and the uh, behavior vanished very quickly. So number two, find the memory. Once you've isolated the feeling, ask your client what, if any, memory comes to mind when they focus on this feeling. And don't be surprised if this answer is no, at least at first. But sometimes these things just take a little time. And chances are it will be a memory they haven't thought about in a long, long time and haven't really connected to their current difficulties. But it's not a recovered memory for reasons um, I explain in other videos. So just like Emily, after a few moments, Wendy told me no memory had come to mind. And of course, I have to accept that. But after a few more seconds, she suddenly recalled a time at school when her friends had thrown away sweets in the playground and she had, had greedily scooped them up to, to eat. And her stepmother never allowed her sweets or gifts, even on her birthday or at Christmas. So it had been a big deal for her to suddenly get these sweets. When the other children had laughed at her, excitement had turned to shame and later shame had turned to compulsion. And I suspect this was an example of a molar memory, one that has both a positive and negative emotional root and seems to produce baffling compulsive behaviors. So check out Joe Griffin's uh, work on molar memories on YouTube. Once we connected Wendy's compulsion with this memory, progress was swift. Emily, too, quite easily connected the feeling of having no voice when she needed to assert herself to the pain of those earlier memories of having been bullied and laughed at at school. But vitally, we need to ensure we're helping the client access memories they've always had. Because in therapy, we always need to remain aware of the very real risk of manufacturing memories.
And step three, reframe the memory. Gone are the days when psychotherapists believed their job was simply to help their clients find out what happened with a naive uh, belief that understanding where a, mem- a problem came from, or at least formulating some kind of theory as, as to its genesis, would somehow magically uh, make the problem dissolve. You know, millions of people know, or at least suspect, where their problems originated, but knowing doesn't make a blind bit of difference to the suffering uh, that these, um, uh, that their acknowledgement of, of where the problem came from, uh, causes. So we need to do something with the origin or origins of that problematic emotional pattern if we're to dissolve its power over the client. Now, it might have some impact to explore the memory cognitively, although trying to change emotional patterns by thinking differently is often to put the cart before the horse because strong emotion tends to precede thought. And if people feel very anxious, then the anxiety itself uh, tends to produce anxious thoughts. So it's not always the other way around. Sometimes we might use the rewind technique if the memory is so strong, the person shows signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. Or as with Emily, we might bring resolution to the memory through some other, other method, such as the helping hand technique. About halfway through my second session with Emily, and if you've seen the video Uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. We deal with her memory of being bullied pretty fast and immediately. And Emily tells me happily that it's now like a neutral feeling when she thinks about it. So we've undone the emotional conditioning so that things can change in the present. It needn't be difficult to wrench the power from troublesome memories and hand it back to the client. And of course, um, I've I've talked about reframing quite a lot in, in other videos. Step number four, rehearse new patterns. Once we've helped take the negative power from a memory so that it no longer activates difficult feelings in the present, we can help our clients hypnotically rehearse new feelings. In effect, we take one thing out, the negative feeling from the old but influential memory, and put something else in, a new template for feeling and behaving differently in future. During relaxed trance, we can help our clients view themselves from a third-person perspective, as research shows that this makes it more likely new behaviours will naturally be adopted. See reference one in, in the written article. I help Emily get a sense of observing herself from the future, so to speak, being calmly assertive and strong with people, setting limits and feeling true to herself. To be assertive, as I reframe it to Emily, is to be more honest with people. And because honesty is important to her, this reframe was taken up. So this was a frame she could respect and made becoming more assertive a way of also being more decent in her relationships. In this second session, uh, we've come a long way. We've located a memory which, while it wasn't being generally recalled, had still been malevolently active in tripping up Emily's life and undermining her confidence and self-esteem. We've reframed that memory, not just cognitively, but emotionally, and we've set new emotional templates for confident interactions in future, which will in turn help raise Emily's self-esteem. In my third session with Emily, she tells me brightly, I no longer feel like a helpless child. She describes successes she's had through being more assertive with people. She says she's now able to state her own needs and perspectives and gives examples of where uh, she's exercised her newfound confidence. There's nothing better in life than truly breaking free of the chains 
of the past. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Art Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog. Music